Hello everyone, my name is James Van Buren. I'm one of the Deputy Secretaries of the People's Health Movement. I've been asked by Tanache if I would to moderate this session. My role here today is not really to take up much of the space, but just to make sure that we can have a, a good discussion between everyone. And the session will be recorded for viewing at a later date if there are others who are unable to attend. With that, let me just do a brief introduction. So the, the session is titled, Coronavirus is Affecting the Livelihoods of the Poor and Vulnerable People When Accessing Nutritious Food, as a public webinar um, being run by the People's Health Movement South Africa, in, in addition with a lot of, of, of our partners. Just as some introductory thoughts, obviously everyone knows the context in which we're having this, this uh, session is 11 months into what is a very unexpected uh, and very serious coronavirus pandemic in the country that has taken much of the focus in terms of public health and social response. And a lot of the uh, direct and indirect impacts of coronavirus have been extensive and, and not really focused on as much as the direct um, health and consequences. So in this title, I think there's two things that's, that are brought up. So the first being the livelihoods of, of people who depend upon food and, and the, the local economy, things like food sellers, food growers, people who, who make their income through, through food. And then the second aspect of that, which we also touch on, is the, the aspect of access uh, to nutritious food in a time of economic hardship and during periods of, of lockdown where transport and access to traditional means of, of, of getting hold of food have been halted and, and altered. So with that, we have three speakers today. The, the speakers that we have are Prof Tandi Puane, we have Pumeza Makwiri, and we have Rashida Nair. I don't have a particular order in which I'll, I'll ask them to, to jump on. I'm just based on who is in the chat at the moment. But in terms of their introductions, we have Prof Tandi Puani, who is a well-known expert in South Africa and uh, abroad as an emeritus professor at the School of Public Health, University of Western Cape. Her research areas include working with community health workers to implement interventions for the prevention of cardiovascular disease in communities and studying the influence of food environment on consumer behaviors. We also then have somebody who I've had the chance to uh, work with a little bit through the C90s People's Coalition here today, and that is Comrade Rashida Nair. Rashida is the convener of the Basic Needs Working Group of the C19 People's Coalition. She's a member of 2030 Up and also represents people against apartheid and fascism. She's a social justice activist for 37 years, beginning with anti-apartheid activism as a teenager, and she identifies as a black consciousness activist, black feminist, and decolonialist. She's been involved as a professional book editor and publishing consultant uh, at the moment as a freelancer and has worked in academic trade, school books, and civil society public education. She was uh, also with a number of anti-apartheid doctors who made a submission to the TRC for anti-apartheid abuses in the health and science sector. And the report formed the basis of the first book to guide and teach human rights and ethics for health professionals in the medical curriculum. She has come to understand the need for people-centered health system today. She will also be speaking uh, to us um, in her role as the convener of the basic needs. Uh, I would like to then call, if we do have the first speaker, uh, Prof. Tandi Pwani, uh, online. 
if she could uh, step over and, and speak to us for, for 10 minutes or so, and then we can open up with some questions. Sorry, Comrade Rashida, would it be possible if we could, could jump to you to, to yeah, speak sure, to I was about your experience? A bit later, but uh, I, I'm happy to just, uh, because my input is um, more on, um, I think it's linked to the challenges that people are facing on the ground and uh, uh, organizations, communities, and civil society generally to, um, to deal with the problem of food access uh, during the lockdown and, 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 and moving forward uh, also with um, post-COVID uh, in terms of uh, dealing with the impact. So um, I want to tell people first a little bit about the Basic Needs Working Group. Um, it was established uh, right at the beginning of uh, the, the lockdown when the coalition formed because uh, myself and some other women, it was mostly women, all women actually, uh, and, and one man who, who, who felt that, you know, uh, access to ba basic needs would be incredibly difficult given uh, that we've never faced a pandemic before and, and we were all quite aware from civil society uh, the, the the huge uh, disparities in um, earnings and access to basic needs so um, initially I'd identified food but that was a subgroup it's become its own working group on the coalition and uh, I, I, I'm sorry that nobody's from there is on this uh, chat uh, presenting and, and it would be something to look at going forward but I can tell you about the work that the comrades they are doing but just in basic needs to say that we have a group, uh, we have subgroups. One group is um, psychosocial support. Another one, uh, the first one that we established was emergency food relief. And that was dealing on a case by case when people called into the coalition, they'd get directed to us and we would um, put them in touch with information and access or with money or parcels, food parcels. Uh, it was very short duration, but we said emergency because uh, literally we were getting people calling who were falling down on the street, uh, calling, you know, from um, homes uh, locked in without uh, access um, to food because the police and the army was out there assaulting people and, and the kids were hungry and, you know, th that kind of despair. Um, okay, so another, I'll come back to that in a while. Another group that we have on basic needs, a subgroup, is psychosocial support, because right at the very beginning, we realized that just from the unknown quantity that the quarantine was, it was bound to be difficult for all of us. And secondly, uh, because of the increased suffering uh, to do with, you know, health, uh, people getting the virus, but also not having access to work, uh, to the basic needs. And, and then, of course, the big one was also the repression from the state in terms of uh, services and um, physical uh, harm that people uh, were facing. I mean, from the first we're getting reports about this. And the third group that we have is uh, called uh, rural, uh, peri-urban and rural uh, needs. Uh, and that is because we, we realized that there is a greater access to services and to being heard and being visible in the urban areas than it is in the peri-urban and rural areas, towns outside the city and deep rural areas. 
And uh, that kind of veil was almost impenetrable given the fact that access to data, to electricity and transport uh, all came to a halt. And we needed to get people out there to give us feedback and to see how bad things were and and to, to, to try and organize there. And the third, uh, the, the, the fourth group is, uh, is called uh, Global South Against Xenophobia. And uh, we established that because one of the core groups that was facing vulnerability and uh, virtually hardly any access to food uh, and other basic uh, services and needs is the non-nationals. And a final group that we have is called um, Human Rights and Basic Needs Amendments. And this is a group that lobbies, uh, looks at um, lobbying against, uh, you know, to, to amend uh, regulations and also challenging the access to, um, uh, to, to rights to, uh, to, to basic needs. I mean, James knows about all this because he's a convener, but I think that, uh, you know, we've had to uh, work our way through uh, trying to be responsive uh, and, and, and work hands-on with communities to understand then what the issues are that not only uh, our working group and sub-working groups address, but what people are facing on the ground and how, how we can actually, um, you know, um, make a plan, uh, uh, how we can make, make things work. So I just want to say that right from the very first week, there was a problem with um, access to food. I mean, within two weeks, it was quite shocking. And uh, I, I thought it was quite crazy that um, it, it took two weeks to bring the country and, and, and uh, uh, most of its population to actual hunger within two weeks. Uh, and that, that said to us a great deal about um, people's uh, precarious living, uh, you know, that people were not, especially the working class and poor communities, were not able to stockpile uh, goods uh, from groceries like middle class uh, people were. Uh, the fact that people were... Uh, shut in, uh, you know, without transport, especially in rural areas, meant that even while those were food produ producing areas, they just didn't have access to it. And, you know, we were hearing all sorts of things. So it was, you know, quite uh, alarming also that uh, the state took quite a while to kick in with uh, service, uh, you know, providing food parcels, etc. And even there, the, the problem that we were noticing was the access to it, there was no real uh, plan, but also the type of food that people were uh, were receiving, which was basically, um, you know, high carbo, um, not enough, um, and also we weren't really sure in terms of. Um, how they were being uh, delivered to people uh, because each province was doing its own thing, whether the virus, you know, there the were proper precautions being taken. So these are broadly some of the things right at the beginning of the lockdown that we encountered. And even though the lockdown restrictions have eased, you know, with the, the lockdown levels uh, dropping, there is still a great deal of um, 
hunger and um, non-access to food because people have lost jobs. And also because there is a general sense in which people are not really, uh, it's not business as usual. It's not people's uh, lives, you know, um, the routine that they'd had or the, the access that they'd had previously in terms of um, uh, spaces that they could go to to access food. That, that now has changed um, in these eight months. I think from about the sixth month onwards, fifth, sixth month, we started seeing what uh, I think is known as donor fatigue, including with fresh produce, etc., which initially farmers and small food uh, growers were, uh, you know, uh, making available. The cans were very, uh, you know, good about that. But it, it just is... It, it just is such an overwhelming need and amount of, um, you know, households and people that needed access to uh, staples and to, uh, you know, food, nutritious food that I think somewhere along the line, uh, we, we, we just can't even say exactly how many people um, are actually accessing food every day. The, 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 the the point of the uh, social um, COVID special grant, uh, you know, is is it's it's great that it kicked in. It took a while for it to um, to become uh, you know operable in the sense of people accessing it, but it's a very meager quantity. And we ourselves, when we were uh, giving emergency food relief to people, uh, sometimes the the need would be so great that we'd end up doing the thing of staples, you know beans and 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 a mealy meal and oil and you know onions if if people were lucky uh kind of tomatoes and it it it, it really felt terrible that one had to do this but of course overwhelming need so just to say that that is the one aspect in terms of just access to general food to keep people up the second was the vulnerable groups uh, because uh, the feeding schemes in at schools had closed down, and I think it was the Western Cape that was the only one that um, had um, opened the the learning centres, early learning centres, and the feeding schemes. Uh, you know, were given money and were operating. But the other eight provinces that didn't happen, we were very worried also about child-headed households because their vulnerability and access, uh, you know, and who was um, looking after them. Uh, another vulnerable group, uh, as I said, is the non-national. And then the old people as well. We were hearing stories of, uh, you know, people scared of COVID and then turning away uh, older people from the communities or the house, that the inner household or the home that they thought had um, contracted COVID. And um, it, it was quite a battle. And I would say that civil society really came to the fore there. But at some point, we're going to have to look at how we tried to meet the needs and whether that was nutritious because I think, you know, the food that we provided, because initially it was just about putting food into people's uh, tummies, you know, just to, because we, we, people were knocking on the door, phoning uh, us with suicidal call, uh, phone calls, you know, about we stuck here, I've got three kids and uh, I don't know what to do. And the minute we made a plan, then you'd find that, 
that anxiety and depression and stress by the mother who was calling would be addressed. So we, we realized that a lot of the psychosocial support work was not just about, you know, psychological or mental illnesses, but about it also being linked to the inability of parents to care for their children and provide them with food, let alone nutritious food. So one of the questions, and I want to end here and come back to the points maybe when people have questions or to, to pick up on points that other speakers um, you know, uh, mention is that we've been very focused on COVID, but the impact of access to food and the type of food that people had access to, especially in poor and working class communities, has to be really looked at seriously because it's not just about um, the virus, fighting the virus. It, it was also about people with chronic conditions, uh, people with other illnesses, and also the, the impact on, on mental health and on child development. ECD is a particularly uh, important stage for children and not having access to those meals and that stimulation uh, for a few hours every day does irreparable damage to the, the human body at that stage. You know, uh, it, it, it impacts physical growth, well-being, long into a person's uh, life. So I'll end there by saying that my personal feeling, uh, having, you know, uh, wor working on basic needs and, and hitting the ground running uh, with, with the, the huge, so, so there were problems also about accessing uh, data to, to, to get a hold of people, to tell them that you're hungry, you know, and you need food. It was about accessing uh, uh, fuels, cooking fuels to cook the food, uh, transport to get there, uh, people who were delivering food, having problems with safety about going into rural areas or unknown spaces because there was no apps that was that were provided. So I feel that just to say there were two things that really alarmed me and has, you know, have angered me. And the one was that the state could have made proper um, plans when they heard about, um, you know, the, 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 the pandemic that was to come. We knew about it already in December. There was ample time to get something in place and they failed to do that. And at some point they just dropped the ball completely. And the second one was the refusal to work with civil society partners uh, to meet with us to uh, make a plan. And uh, a lot more could have done if that had happened and that is something that we really need to hold them accountable for uh, i'll end there thank you thank you to uh, comrade rashida rashida uh, nair is a been a very active part of the c19 people's coalition where she currently serves as the convener of the basic needs working group uh, she's a member of 2030 up and also represents uh, people Against Apartheid and Fascism. She's a well-known social justice activist for 37 years now, and she identifies as a black consciousness activist, black feminist, and decolonialist. And as I've said, she's been particularly active during this uh, COVID period as the convener of the Basic Needs Working Group and another number of other groups uh, within the C19 People's Coalition. Thank you, Tommy, for seeing that. We'll certainly have some questions Tanache has asked that we go to our second speaker who is on the line with him. Uh, this is Comrade Kumeza Matwiri. Okay. Oh, I 
am a member of uh, Bechasu Kitchen. So, uh, five, ladies, five unemployed ladies in the village, we came together and one of us is a healthcare worker. We came together and that's this idea during the uh, level four lockdown. Basically, what we did, we made a call to the village that this is what we're thinking because we see that our village was not supported by any means. There was no food problem, there was no nothing in our village. It was in one of the poorest villages in this area. So, people who have supported the idea, they came with food, they came with veggies. Whoever has rice, brought rice, whoever has potatoes, brought potatoes. We put everything together and we cook those and people and take Some contacted their relatives who are in the cities to donate some things and they did. But if the little they have, it went a long way. What inspired us was that when we saw the pandemic, of unemployment in our village, and we thought we cannot sit and do nothing. We started with the idea. Okay, the aim for opening the soup kitchen was to assist the community and the people who do not have any income. On top of that, uh, as I said before, our village did not receive any support from the government, even from any NGOs. When we asked our councillor and our work committees, no one knows, no one could answer us. We wrote letters, we did all that. It's just all community members and we didn't get any response. So we went ahead and thought, let us help ourselves. And also the main issue was the school children that were, that were not going to school, so they were not getting anything. And eventually when schools opened, they were only going to school for two days. So they were not getting anything. And we thought, let us fill that gap. So we had a lot of children that are coming to our kitchen. Because most things they are at home and they are at school. And most of our unemployed youth, basically how most of our unemployed youth, what they do, they go to the bus stop and wait for people who are coming from town, carry their groceries and get ten range. And that's how we live. The person is going to live on ten range. If they are lucky, there are people who need to be helped that day. So we also got a site. The site has um has a uh, has uh, a garden that we're using. We also have a huge water problem. We have a crisis. We even went to protest, we got shot and got jailed before we could even start the protest. So we had kept that do not have gardens. We we need to ask for Georgia tanks. There's nothing, we're not getting anything. Currently our municipality we saw now yesterday the the, the truck, the water truck bent down, someone bent down the water truck. The one water truck that was actually working, supporting these 138 villages in town. So we we saw raising funds for Georgia tanks so we can just collect our own water so we can do irrigation because we haven't seen rain for like months. And our taps, there's no water. But also we do also get support sometimes to other villages, especially those that are near the ocean. They do get rain sometimes and water. So they support us sometimes with vegetables. 
from their garden and come and, and support our our. So we 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 feel like we're making quite a lot of difference in our community. We dish at eleven so that we can accommodate even those on medication. We I think uh, we we get about eighty percent. We serve to about eighty percent of our villages of our village, and mostly the best, the best thing about our village also is that when. People are struggling to hear you, so I'm just going to summarize what you have said so far. Pumeza is a founder of what they call Biha Soup Kitchen and Wellness. This is a soup kitchen which was founded during the lockdown of Level 5 after realizing the hardships that the community were, were facing in access to healthy, I mean, in, in access to food itself. So what they did is they formed this soup kitchen which is not supported by any one it's being supported by the community themselves and well-wishers. So they are trying to secure some Jojo tanks. They do their daily dishing, their cooking and dish at 11 o'clock and they try by all means also to cater for the young and the elderly and especially those who are on medication. Uh, they've been supported by well-wishers and rich families who are within their communities. Uh, there's also the other side, which has got the ocean on it. So they, they do receive rain and then they do supply them with vegetables sometimes. Uh, Pumez, am I missing something? Yes, yeah, you covered. Yeah, quite a lot. So, yeah, so the way our village is started, so we, yeah, it's basically bad. So we also, because we also don't have a school, we don't have a clinic, so we get mobile clinics sometimes, so people will wait the whole day for clinic. So we must cook for those people, so by the time clinic gets here, people are, have eaten something. So our school is two villages away, for those kids, we come back, we wait for them, and then we, we, we offer them something those days that they go to school. So fortunately, this month, uh, this the givers had our call and started uh, saying, this was the givers. Okay, they, they, they said that they're going to start supporting us monthly with groceries. So we are opening the soup kitchen. They also helped us in a big way as the community people. We saw the bigger picture and we thought that we can do bigger things. So we've been writing, participating in IDP, and every year you go back to previous year, you write the same thing, but nothing. You are told the municipality doesn't have money. Apparently now it's on 0%, but yet so we have to find out to mend for ourselves. So even though we started with the soup kitchen four months ago, they haven't even gave us anything. They're telling us there's no money. They're wishing us good luck. Okay, thanks, uh, Pumis. I hope we'll continue to be online for some questions after after the next speaker. So just in closing, uh, Pumis, I mean, one other po important point that I forgot to mention is that they also, as a community, they stood up for their right to water. And then they got shot at and they were they were they were jailed by the police for them protesting. Pumeza is based in in Pedi. Pedi is between Makanda and and um, King Williamstown along into in in the Eastern Cape. Uh, they're also having challenges with schools. The schools like two villages away. They don't have clinic. Uh, the clinic 
comes a mobile clinic sometime and at times it doesn't come. And um, yeah, that's it. In, in a nutshell, they've been I mean, uh, uh, participating in the IDP process whereby they are now being told that there are no funds and they are, they, they, the government is actually wishing luck with their, with their clinic, I mean, with their, with their project, not really supporting them. I'm sorry for this technicality, uh, but I'm trying to also accommodate Pumeza and because also hear her input. Thank you so much, Pumeza. She's going to stay here online uh, in case there are any questions that are going to be asked. Thank you. Thank you, Tanasha, and thank you, Pumeza, for that input um, on the ground around your soup kitchen work. I see a hand from Gail, but I'm just going to ask if we could have our third speaker speak first so that we have, in case we lose any of the speakers, and then we can go to questions. So I'll reintroduce uh, Prof. Tandi Puane, who is an emeritus professor at the School of Public Health at UWC. She's a local and, in fact, uh, international experts in the areas of uh, uh, nutrition ch and child health, and particular focus in the community prevention of non-communicable diseases, working with community health workers to implement interventions to prevent cardiovascular disease, and also studies the influence of food environments on consumer behavior. Prof Tandi, if we could ask um, you to give us some of uh, your insights in, into this topic. Thanks for the introduction. So uh, before I even go to the challenges and how to help the vulnerable uh, access uh, healthy food, which is uh, I'm supposed to be talking about, I'll just quickly go through the introduction and why, as to why we need to maintain health with nutrition. As the first speaker mentioned, we need to, people need to eat a balanced diet so that they have a stronger immune system and so that it also helps to lower the risk of chronic diseases as well as infectious diseases. That's very, very important. So it's very, very important that we feed our body and we give them balanced diet. And to be able to do that, people need to eat a variety of uh, fresh and and fresh fruit and vegetables because those are rich in minerals and, and vitamins and dietary fiber and proteins. So that is very, very important. And avoid a highly processed, and I'm sorry, avoid a processed food because that is very high in salt, fat and, and sugars and drink a lot of water. So for a person who's normal, who uh, afford, it's, it's easy to, to do that, to have a, a balanced diet uh, on daily basis. But for the people who are poor, who are vulnerable, who are not working, it's a challenge. So they, because they've got a, a very few choices. So looking at uh, the current situation with the, the pandemic that we're faced with, there are, are several challenges that uh, the poor are faced with. For example, we know that some people lost their jobs, which means that they've lost income and they're not able to buy, to purchase healthy food or to access healthy food, which is really a challenge for many South Africans. And as has already been mentioned, uh, school feeding services are no longer regular because children are not going to school on daily basis. Some they go other week and the other week they're at home, some they attend school few days a week 
and they used to be fed at the school. So now it means the challenge is with the families. It's really a challenge because you may not be able to feed them healthy food all the time. So that's a challenge. And then also for the elderly people, we had health clubs in the community where the old people used to go to attend the health clubs. They get the breakfast, lunch at times, yeah, breakfast and lunch, and they socialize with other people, they share problems, and they get their medication. Those things have been stopped because of the pandemic. So it means that all elderly people are also missing on a health meal. And we also know that the food prices, because of the economy that went down, the prices of the food has gone up, which is really a problem because uh, with the increase in the prices of food, it makes healthy food unaffordable. So it's a problem, but we need healthy food. Everybody, it's a, food is a human right and people need healthy food in order to survive and be healthy. So just exploring some of the ways in which we can access. How can we assist the poor and the vulnerable access healthy food? So I've got a few points that uh, we can discuss later. The first one that I thought a, a recommendation coming, we need to identify open spaces in the country or identify them and um, utilize them for community gardens in order to enable the community members so that they can come together and they work together towards a common goal uh, so that they don't only rely on bought food. So if we can do that, there will be a community feeling, there will be a sharing together and, and, and they will have a common goal and people will share and they may be, access, uh, be able to access healthy food. Another thing we, we need to work with, try and engage uh, companies such as ShopRite, YouSave, Pick and Pay. Those people are supported by community members who go and purchase food on a daily basis from those companies. So what happens at the end of the day? They usually throw away, you know, at the end of the day, they get rid of the leftovers and uh, and that is can be used can be can can be used to feed the communities if we engage them and ask them instead of throwing those things away or giving you know just i don't know like what they do with the leftover but arrangement can be made so that that food is accessed and help to give the poor so that they can have healthy milk they will be happy to give back to the community because community support them they support them so if those arrangements can be made. Another thing uh, we need to advocate for, for expanding the food banks. You know in Cape Town, there are places where there are food banks with people donating uh, food and they make food parcels and they distribute it. But those things, if they can be, they can be uh, expanded to include the rural areas, to include the township and have ways of uh, asking for donations. Some people are willing to donate, but they don't know where to donate and how to donate. So if we increase, uh, you know, our request to ask people to make donations to the, to the, there are people who are willing to donate money, donate food or donate uh, money to the food bank so that people can get healthy food. And then another thing that we need to work on is a share program. Some, some other countries have got a share program where uh, people donate a little bit of money and they buy food together, especially healthy food. And this also goes to the, to the food banks. It's, it's, it's related to the food banks where the, 
people get a lot from the little money that uh, they've contributed. If every month people contribute or 50 rand or 20 rand and they buy food in bulk and they share it mostly vegetables or, or healthy food so that people just at least get those fruit and vegetables and other healthy uh, food items. Also, uh, we need to work with the, <clears throat> with the local small farmers so that we have got regular farmers market and those local farmers should be subsidized or intensified get in incentives by selling healthy food because if they come together maybe once or twice a month we've got farmers market where fruits and vegetables are being sold at a lower price because the government we have to work with the government to try and subsidize the healthy food so that people can access a healthy food so yeah, basically those are the recommendations or the points that I wanted to discuss with you today. Thank you so much. Thank you very much, Prof. We'll now turn over to some questions and perhaps further comments from the speakers. People feel free to raise your hands in the chat. I, I see Gail. Um, good afternoon, everyone. I firstly want to start by applauding her of the great job that she's doing. The thing is, I've got a suggestion, eh? or maybe they must, what if, if they will write, start writing letters to different departments, like the Department of Agriculture for seeds, so that they can be able to plant some vegetables and give it to the people. Or if they don't give the vegetables to the people, those people now who ended up planting those vegetables, then they can sell those vegetables in order to, to survive. When it comes to the issue of the clinic, I, I, I was working for the Red Cross for almost 12 years. And around, was it 2008? There's an area in Kimberley called Platform Thing. It's like uh, plus minus 20 case, if I'm not mistaken, from Kimberley, where the Sun Nation is uh, staying. So those people, they never had a clinic. They also had to travel from their residential area to another place where it was called Old Platfontaine in order to get health services. So as the Red Cross, we ended up writing letters to the chief director and the MEC of health and also to the premier explaining to them now the problem and the challenges that the Sun Nation is having, especially when it comes to, the, to their treatment, because most of them were defaulting even in their medication. So uh, I would suggest that maybe they must start writing letters. And uh, Tinashe, I don't know if it will be possible also for PHM maybe to come on board and help them by writing those letters or if there's a budget maybe for seats and everything, then you can give them the money to, to, to start with that project of planting something like spinach, vegetables or, or carrots or maybe helping them to write those letters to the relevant officials because now that is a rural area and we all know that when it comes to rural areas, service delivery is very, very poor. And as she mentioned that uh, the mobile clinic maybe it comes once or twice in a week and uh, people are getting sick every day. People don't get sick once or twice in a week. 
it's like every day somebody will end up waking up and not feeling well. So my request actually is that if it's possible, but then maybe Tinashe will, will, will ask, will, will answer on that. If it's possible, maybe for PHM to step in, because I know that Tinashe is driving all over the place. Whenever I call him or we, spoke, we speak during weekends, then he will yeah. tell me, no, I'm driving uh, to a certain place for workshops and everything. Just to come and board and maybe help them with this particular uh, problem and maybe start that particular project for them in the rural areas. Thank you. I think very for all that. So we will need matters of to write to help us assist to write to the relevant people regarding especially the clinic. Because it only came twice during the past six months. So it doesn't come weekly. So uh, and also about uh, about planting vegetables. Also the thing with villages that I'm actually trying to understand also. There's so much open space that can be used to plant vegetables. But it's such a big deal because now we're going around doing presentations to local chiefs about the open space that we need to be utilized for, 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 for to be cultivated. The land is there, people are not using it, but for you to actually use the land is a mission. And the land, it's not like it's current of land, it, it belongs to the chief, but now you it's a process to get we're doing presentations. Two weeks back, we did a presentation to the council, to the chief council. Now we need to go to another person, to another person, until we can be given a go-ahead to, 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 to think, to, to plan. We wrote to the Department of Agriculture. They're saying that there's a waiting list. We must just submit our thing and wait like everyone else. Because uh, we need help with things like sensing, lots of tanks and speed. So we're on the waiting list. So... Would like advice and who else to write to because we wrote to them as or they have our five. Thanks, Professor. Uh, James, was this audible? Do I need to repeat anything? If you could briefly summarize. Okay, uh, the, uh, she's, she basically thanks uh, all the speakers who spoke and, and, um, uh, and the advice. She's taking them, she's noting them down. There's also a challenge in, of course, she'll be coming to PHM and whoever is available to contact to assist with any assistance, she will be knocking on their door and actually asking for your assistance in whichever avenue that they might take in, in, in advocating for their for their challenges. Issue of open space, they've been going to chief uh, to chiefs, um, trying to do presentation of as to how they can make use of the open land in producing food. But then there's, it's, a, it's a lot of bureaucratic kind of a setup whereby they're being sent from pillar to post and so forth. But good enough, they've also did an application with the Minister of Agriculture for, for land and they're on the waiting list. So when their turn comes in, that's when the Minister of Land will come to them. Thank you, Tinashe, and for, for summarizing that. And also, of course, to, to Pumeza for the work that she's doing and still struggling to get access to some support um, from state and local officials. I see three hands. Uh, if we could just keep our questions quite brief to allow the speakers to respond. First, Lumumba. Uh, good evening, comrades. Um, uh, I want to thank um, PHM for organizing this and to thank uh, all the panelists who have presented uh, 
um, the difficulties and way forward. Uh, I actually want to appreciate Pumeza for the initiative that is started in the rural area. I, I think we all know that um, what has happened, um, the COVID has just come to expose what patriarchy has done, what, what um, capitalism has done, just expose a lot of issues, what is going on and how the vulnerable uh, are, are suffering, you know, from what is going on. And, and I, I want to ask a question, I don't know generally who this question is going to go to, because um, um, all this assistance was, was to be, the rural people, the vulnerable people was to be added, and there was a budget, there was a lot, how many million, was it 500 uh, uh, million rand that was given? And this money was also embezzled by, 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 by some of these office bearers, and these things are in court. So my question now is, when all these MEC or all these people who had this project of BE being uh, taken to court, when this money come back, or, or will they retrieve this money? Will it be possible to retrieve this money and really give this money to where to assist the rural pro and the vulnerable? How will this go into? I also want to thank um, uh, Rochilla for the work. I know she's exhausted with a lot of work in, 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 in what um, she has been doing in uh, uh, the, the, the C19, she has been doing a lot of work. I've worked with her and just want to encourage her with, with the work. She has been really relentless in working over time. So comrade, um, kudos to that. I also want to talk to uh, Prof Tanzi. Uh, she, she spoke some recommendations. So um, given the fact that she is an academic and given all these uh, proposal of way forward of like contacting them, um, uh, you save um, a shop right or pick and pay that the community support. Uh, wouldn't it also be good that she should take this initiative also to contact communities or write to some of these shop right and really identify because there's a lot of um, uh, vulnerable communities that are really in need of it, so that she should do something like a project and write to these um, uh, to these various shops so that they, we should get uh, the food so that it should be distributed. Wouldn't it be possible for her to take that initiative? Oh, she's so flock up with work that she cannot do that because that's a good proposal because we can get all these lofty proposals but if we don't we don't take you make use of it then it will it will just be uh, it will be just be rhetoric and no action so uh, i'm just throwing that back to him thanks uh comrade thank you com i think let's divide the question up if comrade rashida could respond to the first part around the well the misuse of government funds and whether still hope for, for some investment in that space from the state, what we can learn from that, and then perhaps Prof to then speak to, are there any successful initiatives that have already been going on or that are currently going on that she might be involved with around uh, the big supermarkets and getting them to commit to donating their food stocks? Thanks, uh, James, and uh, to the speakers. Uh, yes, I, I presented a lot of problems, but not solutions. And there are currently a lot of solutions that people are pursuing, comrades are pursuing in communities and within the coalition as well, NGOs. And um, really, I, I want to say a, a, a few things here about the connection between health and food and basic needs. The first step towards a healthy human being, a healthy community, a healthy uh, nation is access to food and water. And there's been a terrible dereliction of this. So, um, and, and, and at the same time, because people were pushed, uh, we saw people stepping up 
and taking control, taking charge, because they realize that there is no security coming from the state at all. So um, the food gardens, uh, you know, which have been pioneered and pushed by women, predominantly you're talking about working class and poor black women in rural areas, in urban areas, and uh, getting children involved, uh, setting up soup kitchens, is, is actually a tremendously important health and political and community building and well-being um, uh, you know, uh, gain that was made with the pandemic. I mean, it's a strange thing, but it's paradoxical almost that it took this for, to push us to actually say, no, we want land so that we can plant our vegetables. I'm growing a garden on my balcony now. You know, I, I never thought I would, but I'm making my own compost. And, and what I'm saying is I think that we must not let go of that um, ownership that has become stirred up in us now, our access to land and to use it and to take care of our bodies and each other's bodies. Because what has happened is over the years, I think in some ways, because of the malaise, the, 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 the irresponsibility of government, uh, we've all we've all sort of ailed, you know. We, we've all um, not uh, not been. I think the push factor has been COVID and 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 the fact that we've just had to make another plan because the government just was not going to. So I would say that that is very important, and I think that the uh, the the, the um, uh, people's health movement should be involved in that. You know, it's it's uh, it's a political thing, but it's also a survival thing. It's linked intrinsically to um, issues of uh, physical and mental health and, and well-being um, to every aspect of the human being. And I think that growing your own food, seeing what is possible from the earth, uh, that being part of, um, you know, uh, working against the profit market of food, but where you, you're moving it more towards sustainability, is also getting people to um, be proactive. And I think it does something for our mental health as well. Um, that is what I'm getting the feedback from, from communities who are involved with this. But what we're also getting is that as um, government has become more active now, there's also the bureaucracy that's kicked in about having to be on waiting lists, about land not you know we can't use land communities mustn't use land it's now seen as land invasion etc and we need to challenge all these things but i just wanted to say that 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 link of the food production and access remaining in the hands of the people themselves is actually one of the key things we must think about in terms of health and in terms of changing many of the you know, uh, earnings in terms of uh, just being able to get up and get on with the day without feeling at the end of the day that you left uh, weaker than when you started, which is, I think, how one woman described it, that, you know, um, it's, it's, it's almost like every single year you realize you're poorer and you're sicker. And, and I feel that a people's health movement, uh, you know, is not about just access to what the state gives us, but what we can control also in terms of what goes into our mouth. And so in the Eastern Cape, for instance, you know, um, we're going to be looking at lobbying for boreholes for water so that people can um, grow, you know, if, if, even if that water is not uh, okay for drinking, it, it's water, the source has to be found and, and boreholes is one of them and we should be lobbying government for them. A second thing is that 
the seeds, access to seeds, access to land, access to all the things. We're finding that, you know, um, some of the people who are uh, planting, the activists, are finding that the, the seeds that you find in shops and in nurseries, in commercial nurseries, um, are very poor quality. So there needs to be some scientific access and education and guidance. And I think a people's health movement and the scientific community can really guide people here. Firstly, in terms of what a nutritious food basket looks like, what are the ideas in terms of when we uh, dig the earth and, um, you know, um, plant our things, what, what do you want to see on your plate for your children and for yourself? And, 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 and guide people in that. That's, that's part of what I see as, you know, accessing and, and health provisioning as well. And the other thing is the use of vitamins. So if the government, you know, can't give us medicines and things, the, I'm very worried about the kind of deficiencies in protein, the deficiencies in vitamins from lack of access to dairy, uh, fresh produce, fish, and, and those things are all about gaining access, getting it in your hand, getting it in your plate. And right now, one of the things that we're planning huge campaigns about is the fact that the caregiver's grant has been uh, taken away. So, and, and you're talking here about poor and working class black women who look after their families and their communities. You're talking about a country in which 70% of the households are, head, uh, are run by, uh, you know, single moms. And so... What are you saying when you take away uh, that uh, 350 rand from them for the month? You're basically saying that they must still shoulder the burden of care in terms of producing that food on the table for their communities and for their kids, but they must go hungry. And I read about a month ago appalling statistics, uh, you know, which I'll forward, um, I, I put it on our convenience forum, and I, I, I was, you know, uh, shocked to, to learn, for instance, that. Um, eight out of 10 adults go to bed hungry. So, and then when we talk with the communities, the ladies in the communities who are uh, cooking and, and planting, the, the first people they feed are the children, then it's the sick, then it's the older people, and last, it's, it's, it's uh, them, whatever is left over, it's, it's for them. And it's the same with water, it's the same with PPE, it's the same with everything. During winter, it was about blankets and about access to fuel and or, or heating, etc. So what I'm saying is that these, these are not just political issues. Health is, you know, our bodies will be nothing without our bodies. And the abuse that we suffer from the government is an abuse of our body. It's a violence against our bodies. And we need to look at it like this and we need the guidance from our, you know, um, our comrades who are doctors and scientists because in some ways we've been, um, you know, we've been made helpless in, in, in a sense. We've, we've been made, those of us who are involved with food, it's only when we go into a store to buy something or if we're in uh, the agricultural business or in some kind of food production, it's because we're making it to sell it. And we're often making it to sell it for someone who's making a profit and then we have to buy from that someone, um, uh, you know, and, and spend our earnings to give them a profit, you know. So we need to be looking at those things and we need to really be, 
uh, changing things. And I, I have to commend our food working group that they're paying a lot of attention to that in terms of small scale farmers, community gardens, empowering people in neighborhoods and streets. Uh, my own organization, 2030 Up, is setting this, I set this as a developmental uh, millennium goal. And uh, we provide seeds with the with with the stoves, uh, eco-friendly stoves, and uh, the PPE and personal hygienic products, which we uh, and defense kits that we give to uh, women in the uh, rural and urban townships and informal settlements. So what I'm saying is the synergy between uh, you know in communities and with civil society, we must build on that, and we must also rope in our professionals, our doctors, not just to give us an injection or to go to them when we're sick, but say to them, also teach us how to be healthy, what we can do, you know, from the time that I'm um, uh, thinking about um, growing food, thinking about, uh, th those, are, for me, those are, you, you can't separate them. And I think of countries like Cuba, for instance, who do, the, do those kinds of integrated systems, you know, and, and we need to be looking at you know community-centered people-centered ways of access um to, to to looking after our bodies we can't see them any longer in siloed ways one of the things that the food working group is doing with the support from um, the coalition uh generally is uh, they're now taking looking at uh, they're involved in taking the president to court to sue him for food for uh, you know the people of South Africa, uh, and 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 basically we're saying that it's um, black women, poor black women, poor and working class black women, and their children, including grown up men who are children of black women, who are suffering because the system has just completely and utterly um, set them up for hunger and starvation, and it is going to get worse as more jobs uh, get lost. So. Um, I, I, there's a lot going on and there's a lot of education and information that we need. And it would be really great for us to have more of these kinds of sessions where we can ask, you know, and, and learn from each other because I don't see how we can even broach the subject of health or broach the subject of anything to do with the human body without looking at the absolute basics, you know, uh, clean air, uh, water, food, and all of those things take us back to, you know, the earth's body, the environment and our own bodies and the way it's just been completely disrespected and abused. And we need to actually change our language in terms of how we do care, self-care or others care, you know, care for others. There's a new ethics that we must be thinking about in terms of self and other and what we see as knowledge, professionalization of, you know, health sector or community sector. It, 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 it can't be siloed. It has to be about um, people being empowered. So those are the kinds of things I can say, but it also reads a, a big push from us to, to say to the state, uh, give us the seeds then. If you can't give us the food, give us the seeds and give us access to land. And if you don't, there's going to be trouble, you know. Uh, give us the money that you've stolen so that we can use it for, um, for for all these projects, you know. If you can't do it, we can do it for ourselves. But we're not going to just sit back and die or see our people dying and see our families dying. It's not an option for us. It's just not on the table. So, um, yeah, thanks. I think I'll leave it there for now. Thank you, Kamrishi. That, that was a powerful call, I think, for self-reliance, if that's the, the, the correct term. 
Um, Prof. Uh, Tandi, would you also like to add a comment? Yeah, I have experience in working with, I mean, as I'm at the School of Public Health, where the, uh, a time where they had a lot of students who were going hungry, we approached uh, ShopRite and they were able to give us a bread from the previous day as well as the soup and were able to feed those students. So that's why I was mentioning them. But you need to be in the institution to be able to, to advocate for that. As now is PHM, I am not sure how to go about because I'm an outsider, but I'm at the School of Public Health. But I support your comment. So I'm leaving it to Tinashe how to go about that. Thank you, Pra. I see two uh, other hands. Uh, let's go on to the next question uh, from Tseko Fatso. Okay, I want to thanks for the thank the organizer and the speakers for the opportunity. Let me quote the last the last speaker. I heard her saying, uh, "Shoprite must give uh, the leftovers to the vulnerable uh, because they are throwing them away." Here is a different story in our Shoprite. In our Shoprite, they sell those foods at a less price the next day. So uh, us here in our village, we do group ourselves. We help the, those who, who are in need. We donate whatever we can, like food, clothes, money. And we, can, we also uh, buy seeds for them to plow the veggies and fruit at the yard. But to tell the truth, our people are lazy. They want things that are ready for them to use, but not to start at the bottom. So that one is a very concern, and especially to those ones who are in need of things. And then again, in our village, we do a very good things every year. We donate twice a year, like during Easter, December time, we donate uh, food, vegetables to, to those who are vulnerable. Yeah? And then we also ask at the schools for, for like metric dance to choose one, one learner who, is, who put more effort in his or her education. They choose that uh, learner, we buy things of metric dance for that, yeah? for that person. So if our people can just learn to, to also put effort for their own life, uh, uh, it's a concern to me because people, some people, let me not uh, generalize, some people don't care. They want ready things. So I don't know who will come from where to talk to people to, to learn to do things for themselves. Uh, I think I have, it's only that that I wanted to, to raise. Thank you. Uh, th thank you for, for that comment. Um, if any of the speakers would like to respond, please do feel free. I see Rashi Rashida. Yes, I, I hear what you're saying, uh, Comrade Pumeza. Um, uh, I think that um, it is for me what I'm finding. It's, it's not 
so much laziness as a lack of confidence and you know not knowing that you know you have the permission to do it you can give yourself the permission and then ask people to help because what happens when you um you don't have something you you're the last in the line you know so that is that is the challenge but i need to tell you that there's some really amazing things that are going on with younger people like um even before covid and you know the planting of um, kitchen garden soup kitchens the young activists here in kailicha who set up um they call it kasi green uh, all of them became vegetarians because they you know realized that they 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 are very influenced now about environmental caring they taught themselves how to do organic growing they food activists they traveled all over to brazil to mexico they joined up with the zapatistas to learn methods of um you know how to grow the land to do subsistence farming so that the land is respected so our young people don't have work this is now something that we can give them we can train them in this we can give them this work and not as laborers as people who have a relationship with the land it's their future it's the, you know it's it, it can't be about we are consumers we 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 distant from it the thing of agriculture of food growing you have to see that you have that relationship with the land you're not growing for somebody else's profit but you're growing so that your mother can eat your father can eat your children can eat you can eat your neighbors can eat you know it's that kind of pride that we need to start building the same with having a uh, you know a, a beehive or a, a water system that's cleaned or a fish pond you know or keeping um chickens for eggs and uh, uh, you know a goat for milk you know those are the kinds of things that we need to be investing in it it requires for us to actually sit down and think about where we can plug in these holes and what roles we can play i can't see us going back to our old jobs and our old ways of being you know we have to make the changes uh we have to be able to um to now say that if we don't share and we don't accept help from each other we're not going to make it you know so i hear you and i think that's the big challenge uh and i'm almost scared to say that we have to rely on the state to do it we have to just take it on ourselves and i i feel like you know um maybe and this is where i had i'd made that specific reference to myself as a black consciousness activist and a black feminist and decolonialist it goes back to how you how you see and and the lens you applied to the solutions it's the women of this country that suffer the most and that find the solutions uh, tuli madinsele had said this about if we don't you know have the covid reliefs uh, relief grants um extended for the three months that we'd asked for that it would be black women and black girls who would suffer the most now that is scary you're talking about our future of a future female population they're going to suffer not just in terms of not having access to food but also the increase increase in gender based violence for instance because these things have knock on effects so we need to be looking at like your your problem that you spoke about how do we do this and how do we rally people it needs to be part of the education system it needs to be part of um how we organize ourselves in our street in our flat in our home so 
all I'm saying is, I think it's a challenge for each and every one of us, but it's a challenge also for civil society. And it's something that I'm going to take away from here and, and engage with the coalition about, because I think it's a very important thing that going forward, we can play a role in, you know. So yeah, thanks. Thank you, uh, Comrade Rashida. Uh, we had one last hand that I wanted to take as the last question from, from Melanie. If, if Thanks to all the presenters. And I totally agree that we have to take things into our own hands a lot more. I just wanted to put a suggestion um, or a question to Pumeza. It could be either. Um, we had success with the Department of Rural Development and Agrarian Reform in the Eastern Cape getting Jojo tanks for a village. Um, now, I think it's a very good thing that they are um, collecting together in the village for some Jojo tanks, but I think they must also push the department because it is part of their work to get Jojo tanks out. So that was just a kind of suggestion. And yeah, very interesting presentations and discussions. Thank you. Thank you, uh, Melanie, for that suggestion. I also want to read from the chat. There's been a, a comment earlier that around the one of the issues being a, a lack of information and coordination. For example, in Cape Town, there are no maps of community needs or who could supply foods. And so the CANs, the community action networks, had to step into the gap. Um, but there's difficulty in bulk purchasing staples and fruit and veg were not a priority because of this lack of planning. And there were some other organizations had to, to fit in to the gap to, to bring local produce in. So coordination seems to be uh, an issue um, I'm there. I see uh, there's one hand from uh, Basinki Salome. If you could ask a very brief question, we do have to end uh, this. After your question, I'll give each speaker just a, a few sentences to, to wrap up with their last words. Uh, good day, everyone. Um, I just want to say thank you for the opportunity. I'm, I'm, I'm glad to be part of this because I hear such um, beautiful, or I don't know how to phrase it, concepts. Uh, I just wanted to say this, all these other ideas that we've been hearing could play such a vital role in, a vital role in alleviating poverty in our communities. But for some of us, it's such a, it's such a difficult thing like Tsurufato said the other day in our area like firstly open space is a problem like I heard one of the presenters uh, asking us to identify open spaces and then one other thing we are living in areas which are infested with so much theft that even soup kitchens are broken into gardens will always be if, if we if we maybe identify open spaces and get to have those gardens people will always uh, break into those gardens. Even if we give people to do in their own yards, it's always a problem. One other thing, we might have potential funders, but the problem with some of our communities, because such initiatives have been tried before, potential funders always want to take credit, which ends up, which ends being uh, a personal initiative, not something for the community, which now such initiatives end up nowhere because then there's feuds, people start fighting, and then the community uh, is divided, and then initiatives always end up nowhere. It's a real challenge for us, but I'd like to say thank you for this. It's, it just gives one uh, courage to want to try again. Thank you.
thank you for those those words and those comments. If we could then just go in reverse order through our speakers, if any of you would like to have last last comments on on what you think key takeaway from this is. First to Prof Tandy. I just want to say, you know, the the poor or the vulnerable, at times they are very proud. They cannot go around and tell people that they are hungry. They are free. So we need to be able to work with them and just keep on trying and engage them in order to be able to get their own food because they need nutrition in order to be healthy. That's all I can say. Thank you. Thank you very much, Prof Tandy. Comrade Rashida, if you would like to have uh, last words. Thank you. I, I think I'm going to be very controversial, but very passionate, and I believe this. I believe that uh, the women of this country must be given access to the land, uh, ownership of the land, and they will make it work. Uh, as uh, one of the, I think it was Comrade Lumumba said, patriarchy, capitalism, and colonialism have um, put us in this situation. And in a strange way, the first uh, living thing or part living thing, a virus, you know, that appeared on earth has come back to teach us that uh, you, can't, you can't run away from first principles. Um, I, I'm making a plea here for feminism, yes, for black feminism. I'm saying um, life on this planet of women born and life on this planet in this country, in our land, will always depend on women. So uh, we must not be shy about acknowledging that and saying you know, I'm sorry, guys, you all failed miserably. Now we're going to just take over and fix this mess because I've waited and I'm fed up with it. So um, what started with COVID is, uh, is just the beginning and we're not going to stop here. So thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Comrade Rashida, also for giving your time to this webinar. We know that you've been very busy in the Basic Needs Working Group and other aspects of the coalition. Tinashe, if we do still have Komeza on the line, if she would like to say... Um, last words. Otherwise, if you would like to say thanks on behalf of PHM. I want to thank you, everyone, and this platform and for the advice that I received about sometimes to, to stand up and, and knock on the doors on this department. I took that in. I'm going to be on it. And also, they, I love the advice. Uh, the person who said something about uh, training young people uh, to, to, to have a relationship with the land. That's so to move forward to, to, to that. It's not about just, just to, to consume and be receivers, just to work the land as well. So I, uh, I got a lot out of this and I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Well, then, uh, from, from my part, uh, thank you all for attending to the participants and particularly to the speakers. And I do hope that there, these conversations continue outside of the space. This was just a catalyst for further discussion and hopefully further action. Uh, thank you all. I do hope you enjoy the rest of your Friday evenings.